Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And a uh, good, happy, torrid morning uh, to you. Uh, I almost said horrid. I knew there was a word I wanted, but it it, it ain't horrid yet. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm a little stuffy today. Um, anyway, it's Monday, it's July 6th, and uh, it's going to be well into the 90s all all week, which for me is hard. I really get, find it incredibly enervating. Um, but uh, that's why God made air conditioning. So how you doing? I'm uh, I'm admittedly still in a relatively subdued uh, state. I I find it difficult to be upbeat, um, but I'm I'm slogging along, um, as I suspect a lot of you are, and for those of you who are, you know, just. I don't know. Is anybody like living their lives um, as if nothing had changed? How could anybody possibly? I, I do see evidence of people attempting that, and it con- continues to boggle uh, my uh, senses. So um, I'm sorry. I don't know where to start. That was a big sigh. There's very little um, that I can look to that, you know, is something uh, uplifting <laughs> to to talk about. And it's not like I'm here to be necessarily uplifting. I'm just here to what? Talk. To talk. Jeez. Uh, I'm really, I'm sorry. I have a lot of stuff here that I intend to, to get into. It's just that I'm, 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 (laughs) I don't wanna. So, I don't know where to start. Do we start with what are we going to do with this? incendiary president who will have the bully pulpit for what? uh, Six more months? Let me think. What is it? Okay, I said it was July 6th. We'll give him July, August, September, October, November, December. Yeah, over six months because he, yeah, actually closer to seven if he's uh, voted out. Um, he still has power. And unlike other lame duck presidents who would step away uh, from doing anything um, too consequential during that lame duck period, this one, of course, will not, um, will not heed that. Um, This is a guy who has strangely managed a life of what seems like success, right? He has wealth, he has power, even before he had much power, he had uh, celebrity. Um, He's a marketer, he was a self-marketer. And... And yet, he has accomplished next to nothing. I mean, you know, we know that he has run most of his uh, business endeavors into the ground. He is a guy who, as he says, goes by his gut. And his gut is often incorrect. And then he doesn't learn anything. He just blames it on someone else and moves on to his next gut uh, 
ceiling. I can't believe I'm talking. What am I talking about him for? Because he's in my head again. I can't help it. That horrific speech he gave in uh, at uh, Mount Rushmore, which I did not see or listen to. I just read some parts of like this. We are now in the process of defeating the radical left. He means Americans. This is on the 3rd of July. I mean, this is a guy who talks about being at war with Americans. We are now in the process of defeating the radical left, the Marxists the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who in many instances have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Aha, there it is again. The strange thing about this guy is when he's in full-throated prevarication, he cannot help somehow in his unconscious mind projecting onto others what is his knowledge of himself. And so to append to all of these enemies, these fellow Americans that he is in the process of defeating, he says at the end that they have no clue what they are doing. He has no clue what he is doing. And there will be thousands of books written about the President of the United States who knew nothing about the job and who refused to grow into it. So there he is projecting again, no clue what they are doing. All right, I'm going to get off it. I can't take it. Um, the Washington Post, uh, who is this? I guess E.J. Dion is uh, also uh, was chilled uh, by that speech. Um, and, oh, by the way, the Wall Street Journal today, as their lead editorial, let me find it for you. I wouldn't want to misquote this fine rag. It says this. this. is their lead editorial. President Trump delivered one of the best speeches of his presidency Friday evening at Mount Rushmore. Wow. It was a speech declaring war on other Americans. It was, <laughs> it, it, it really was a frightening speech. Uh, and so what we see is what we feared, which is that in these final months, this guy is going to try to take us all down. If he's going down and reports are that he is starting to have some sense that his reelection looks iffy. And so if he is going to suffer a loss, he is going to lash out and take as many people with him as he can. He'll take the country with him. This was always the fear of people who watched him, who who sensed his uh, psychological uh, violence and emptiness. So he will do everything he can to make sure that we Americans not only stay at war with each other, but he's going to ratchet it up. 
And he's already clearly using the, you know, we've lived, us older ones, have lived through other periods where we have heard the uh, racist, openly racist politician, politicians uh, try to uh, create this fear in white people. Um suggesting that the uh, Americans in the streets now are trying to throw overthrow the American Revolution when what they're trying to do is further it, is make it live up to its, its founding documents. All men are created equal. They don't want to overthrow the American Revolution. They want to realize it. And one minute he's calling those of us who he sees as enemies and as haters. He calls us communists, Marxists, uh, and he calls us fascists. He he came up with this phrase, a a far-left fascism. What? So he's going to take us down. And uh, I, for one, am very worried about what that is going to actually look like. Because as E.J. Dion says, uh, we face months of being led by someone so desperate that he will warp our history, shatter what little unity we have left, and leave it to others to clear the wreckage. Well, as I said, that's always what Republicans end up doing, whether they do it so, uh, you know, with such gusto as this one. But they invariably leave a mess that Democrats have to clean up and thus spend their time in office not doing what they intended to do, but simply cleaning up. Okay, I want to get a little closer to home here because I find it very unsettling what's happening. Allegheny County is a true hot spot. And and yet as I live my life, I see an awful lot of people who don't seem to be taking that reality very seriously. Um, Allegheny County, Allegheny's population is uh, 10% of Pennsylvania's population. Okay, so we make up 10% of Pennsylvania's population. And yet... Over the weekend, we have had 25% of all of the coronavirus cases reported in the state. You know, we've talked often of these percentages of the United States having just, what, 4 to 4% of the world population, but 25% of, of the cases and deaths. And here we are now, Allegheny County. We were so smug initially that we'd done so well. Well, no more. And blame that on premature reopening, which I hollered about. It clearly, we were not ready. What were people thinking? And I'm not saying anything that a million other people haven't said. It is really astonishing that we Americans are going to be left to our own whatever. We have to battle this thing pretty much alone with no federal response, none. Clearly, um, the nation's leading health 
uh, authority has been sidelined. You don't see Fauci on American television anymore. He's been gagged. Um, there is no, you hear nothing from any task force. You, a president gives uh, speech after speech and barely mentions uh, that Americans are dying in record numbers. And if he does mention it, mention it, he suggests that it'll be over soon. It'll just disappear. There is no country in the world other than probably Brazil where you have a uh, Trump wannabe uh, in, pow- in power uh, that has refused, where the federal government has refused to help its citizens in this battle where so many are dying. It's 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 really unbelievable. And even more unbelievable are the people who continue to support him. I just don't get it. Um, when you look at some of the Republicans coming up, too, I mentioned the other day that we've got a lot of uh, Republican candidates now standing for seats in the U.S. Congress. And if they were, all the ones that are standing were to get elected, they would outnumber uh, Jewish Republicans in the Congress. (laughs) They would outnumber Asian Republicans in the Congress. They would outnumber black, certainly, and Hispanic Republicans. And this would be the new big – and they're QAnon. They're they're crazy people. Here's one. It's a guy named K.W. Miller, and he's running for uh, for Congress in Florida's 18th district. And I don't have the whole thing here, Uh, but he posted this. Beyonce is not even African-American. She's faking. Her real name is Anne-Marie Lastrasi. She's Italian. This is all part of the Soros deep state agenda for the Black Lives Matter movement. And then he goes on into such insanity. And that's what I don't have here. This crazy person and Republicans elected him to run for the U.S. Congress. He totally swallows all of this insanity. I mean, it's just frigging insanity. It's all there. Soros, the Jews, deep state, what you see is not reality. Beyonce is not African-American. She's Italian. He's on to it. You got to elect him to Congress. One can only imagine the kind of, uh, of investigations uh, he, would, he would want. Let's see if I can find the rest of this. My God. No, I can't right now. And why? Why should we? I, it, you just, it's that we have to know that they're out there and they're out there in growing numbers. And they are now a sizable fringe of what is at this point called the Republican Party, but which is not in any way an American political party. It's an authoritarian, neo-fascist party. And it's frightening. Okay. So let's get into, instead of my hemming and hawing here, 
Although, wait, I had this one thing. I don't know. It didn't make me feel good, but I thought, oh, my God, we are not the only crazy. It's not just Americans that are insane. Um, Whatever this is, this refusal to deal with the reality of this pandemic, there are people all over the world who, I guess, can't deal with it. And so I saw a story, this is awful, out of a uh, city in southwest France, Bayonne, like Bayonne, New Jersey. And it's about a bus driver who would not let some people on his bus last night because they were not wearing face masks, which were mandated by the government. And the maskless people attacked him. They beat him bloody. And he is dead. He killed him. That's the that's some French folks. So we're not the only ones with a bunch of friggin' fools in our midst. And then there was this amazing thing, and I don't know if you saw it, um, but there was, and I want to get the city right, in in Georgia. Um, where is that awful uh, monument uh, to the the Confederacy, the um, Stone Mountain. Okay, yeah, right. The Stone Mountain Confederate uh, Memorial. Um, there were a bunch of of black protesters who marched toward it um, a few days ago, and I don't did I don't know if you saw this, but these marchers looked unlike any of the marchers I have seen here or in New York or in any other city. The marchers have all looked pretty much the same. They've been wonderfully eclectic groups, mostly young, face-masked, chanting, listening to speakers, um, not violent in any way. These marchers were, I believe this might be from Friday, were also not in any way uh, being violent. Uh, They in no way broke the law. They were attempting to do what is an American's right but it's the look of them that is astonishing. Because I can't imagine how many it looked to be hundreds. It is a huge, huge group as they march toward that monument down the streets. They're dressed totally in black, They are masked, and they are carrying, they are carrying some serious weaponry. These are armed black, mostly men, I could identify some women, these are black men in in lines and about uh, two, I mean, two lines that, that marched. It is, I have never seen anything like this since the 60s. 
and the Black Panthers. But I never saw the Black Panthers in this big uh, march through a white neighborhood. Um, people who did witness it were just blown away. This is an armed group of black people taking to the streets. You do not see that. You see armed groups of white people taking to the streets, but not blacks. And you know what they call themselves? The NFAC, standing for Not Fucking Around Coalition. So that's what happened in Stone Martin, Georgia. Incredible. And I didn't, I don't know. I, granted, I, I'm going to say I didn't see anything on the news about this, but the reality is, is I don't watch the news very much. <laughs> so it might have been covered, but oh my. Now that was sent to me um, by Jared Day, who uh, some of you may recall was an occasional guest on the show. He had uh, taught history at uh, Carnegie Mellon and uh, was an aggregated, uh, a, a news aggregator who would put out a, um, put out to those of us who subscribed, uh, you know, stories he thought were of interest with some commentary. And he sent that uh, out to some folks. And then he said, uh, this. This is from Jared Day. Wow. These are really brave people doing this in Georgia. Why? Because so much in our constitutional, legal, and criminal justice system is designed to snuff out groups just like this one. In my view, Jared says, the Second Amendment has long been one of those coded amendments, one that has largely been taken for granted that it empowers white people to bear as many arms as they want. The same group that you see in this video that he sent, imagine if they appeared in Idaho or even rural Ohio, Pennsylvania. Imagine how many whites would grab their guns and just start shooting. And a jury of their peers would probably let them off. Why? Well, because obviously any sane white person would feel in danger for their lives upon seeing such a group. It would be viewed as a perfectly natural response. On the other hand, of course, a black person who reacted the same way to a group of equally armed white people who feeling afraid of his life and opening fire on them, would spend decades in prison if he ever lived to get to trial. And there you have it. It's why I have said more than once, I'd like to see black America arm. Uh, I'm, maybe I haven't thought this out well enough. But if you want, when, I, when we've talked of the NRA, by the way, has anyone heard a peep from the NRA in a long, 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 long time? Are they still around? But if you wanted to get rid of the NRA, all you'd have to do is have a million or so black people join up, start attending their conventions in full gear, That'd be the end of that, wouldn't it? 
that'd be the end of that. Okay. Oh, here's another thing I wanted to tell you because it blew me away. Donald Trump and um, Vladimir Putin. Uh, the question is asked all the time, what the hell does Putin have on him? I mean, there's a million things he could have on him. Trump was, before he was elected president, a crook uh, with a lot to cover up, financial dealings, this and that. So my guess is it's always financial. Forget P-tapes and stuff like that. Um, but he's got something on him. And there's no other way to explain <coughs> Trump's fawning and obsequious uh, demeanor anytime he's around Putin. It's like he's taking orders from him. And even now we know that Putin was offering huge bounties to Af- Afghanistani people to take out American soldiers. And Trump has done nothing about that. But here's a little fact. In the last two months, In these last two horrible months, when the bounty thing was uncovered, when coronavirus continued to spread, when American streets were filled with protesters, day after day after day, when polling numbers showed Trump going down and down and down, in those last two months, Donald Trump called Vladimir Putin six times. I mean, what? <laughs> Six times. Why? What in heaven's name those two have to talk about? Hmm? He didn't call any other leader six times, not even five, not even four, three. Mm-mm. But Putin... I guess he's got to get his orders. I don't know. Okay, I just needed to get that out because it's uh, chilling. Maybe they're cooking up how to uh, throw the election again. Because the only way he wins, the only shot he has, is if somehow the rest of our votes are not counted some in some manner. We'll see. So I came across a very interesting piece, few interesting pieces, in uh, the New York Times uh, yesterday um, about what the heck we do with this runaway, rapacious capitalism that we have in this country that has enriched so few at and impoverished so many that has made us one of the, the we have one of the greatest gaps between rich and poor of any so-called developed nation in the world. And it makes hollow all of these, you know, Fourth of July bromides that we trot out about how, yes, all men are created equal, and 
you know, the American dream and if you work hard in America and blah, 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 blah. When reality tells us that has not been true for some time, if ever. So the guy who heads the Ford Foundation, which is certainly one of the the biggest philanthropic uh, foundations in the country, is a man named Darren Walker, and he's a black man. For a black man to be seated atop the Ford Foundation is in itself remarkable in this country because he is a guy, by virtue of his skin, who was born into the bottom 1% and managed to get to the top. And so he's somebody who is very well-versed in the reality of life at the bottom and life at the top. And he does not see his singular, his unique experience as one that is, <laughs> that is somehow to be shown as, you see, he did it, <laughs> why can't you? And he said he has felt there's been a change in this country, that he did have a little bit of a shot. Because he said when he was coming up, there was a bit more of a spirit of generosity in this country that he said made his journey possible. And he said it was expressed through the public schools I attended that he received a okay education, public school. And he had access to a Head Start program when he was just a little guy. And then when he got bigger, he had Pell Grants that he could acquire. He said, and without all of that help, government programs, that's all government stuff. I, he said, might well have been ensnared in poverty. So he said, I've always felt this obligation to warn us. And here's his warning. If we are to keep the American dream alive, our democratic values flourishing and our market systems strong, then we must redesign and rebuild the engine that drives that market system. This is a guy who made his money on Wall Street. Okay. Inequality in this country, he said, was not really born of, you know, the market's invisible hand. It was not some unavoidable destiny that capitalism was going to give us. Uh-uh, he said. It was created, this inequality, by the sustained efforts of people who engineered benefits for themselves to the detriment of everyone else. And there it is. That is the truth. He knows these people. He's worked with these people. He's seen it up close and personal. They just can't get enough, and they keep rigging the system to make themselves richer and everybody else well to hell with them. American inequality he says, was decades in the making. One expensive lobbyist and policy change at a time. And it's going to take a concerted effort to roll all of that back. And in doing that, to remake America. 
Number one, first of all, we have got to get away, and it has to become absolutely unpalatable for anybody to suggest that capital is more important than labor. It is labor that creates capital. It is labor, I might point out, that is a collective noun for people, for human beings, for workers. But the system that's been created puts capital over labor I might get back to Darren Walker. Our twisted economy, he says, is an existential threat that has pushed our republic to the breaking point. And that's number one, that that has got to be accepted. That what is accepted as, well, it's the American system, has has not always been this way. So he says those who have this power, who have the privilege, first they got to grapple with that, that this has got to be remade, but then they got to grapple with a bigger question, what are they willing to give up? Because he then says, if we, the beneficiaries of a system that perpetuates inequality, and notice he includes himself because he's worth millions now, and he sits atop the Ford Foundation, and he might be one of the fewer black faces in the room, and maybe that's why he sees this so clearly. He says, if we, the beneficiaries of a system that perpetuates inequality, are truly trying to reform this system that favors us. We're going to have to give up something. We're going to have to give up things like the, oh, that web of tax policies that bolster our wealth. Let me tell you about those. I mean, if, if you come from a family with some wealth, then somewhere in that family, there is a financial advisor or an attorney or somebody who's really savvy about all the little gifts in the tax law for people with money. And so people with money get to do stuff with their money that hides them from tax. It's why, it's why Amazon didn't pay any income tax. It's that kind of crap. It's the poor who pay through the, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. The first way we get at this inequality is to get at the tax laws. And that means rich people are going to feel some pain. Aww. Not to worry. They'll still be rich. But other people will have a shot. Here's another thing he says has to go. The enriched system in American colleges of legacy admissions, you betcha. Who's your daddy? Well, all that does is mean that people who are already there just keep getting in, in, in. Again, filling spaces at the expense of hardworking, poorer people desperately trying to move up. But see, the rich and the people who have power, they don't want to give. You mean, my kid, you saw what they do even when they already have that power with that, the scandal with them, you know, those actors went to jail for. They still try to rig it.
So this guy who got into the 1% from the bottom percent says our kind of capitalism has got to be reformed and quickly if we are to save our democracy. And you see, this is the kind of thing where if you elect a Democratic Congress and a Democratic president, you got a shot at rewriting these tax laws and a whole lot of other stuff. There's so much to be done, and he, he does set out a whole bunch of stuff. But he, this is what he says, which is so true. He says, our economy is so imbalanced, unbalanced, because conscious choices have been made policy, little things here and there, a tweak here and there. Conscious choices have been made that amount to a conscious, conscienceless capitalism, a conscienceless capitalism. As you know, I've said often, capitalism is not a moral construct. God knows. Capitalism has no conscience. Not in this country. But he's saying it could. And that brings me to a, a piece about how it wasn't always this awful. There was a time in America where there, when there was incredible opportunity, when a lot of, and mostly for white people, let's be very clear about that, okay? But when people were able to move up, white people. But if we were to go back to that kind of capitalism now, like capitalism like the Europeans have it, then you got a shot, and now black people would be pulled up as well, I think. But it used to be that the white folks at the top really felt that it was smart as well as right to share the profits with their labor force. That is not something you see in this country now. So in the early part of, about 100 years ago it was, almost exactly, one of America's largest corporations, Sears Roebuck <laughs> and Company, with tens of thousands of employees, announced a major experiment in profit sharing. And what the company told its employees was, hey, look, we're going to contribute 5% of all of our net earnings. And we're putting that into a fund. We'll call it the profit sharing fund. Eventually, they move that up to 10% of pre-tax earnings. Okay. We're not going to put it in our pockets. We're putting it in this basket for you. And any employee who wanted to get in on it just had to sign up. And they also had to throw in a little money, too. They had to throw in, let's say, 5% of their salary. So in throwing in that 5 in having Sears throw in 10, they would end up owning shares of the company they worked for. In the first three years, 92% of all Sears employees signed up. And it was totally egalitarian. 
the distribution of shares were based on how long you'd been there, not on rank. The longest serving workers received nearly $3 for every dollar they contributed. And by the 1950s, the people who worked at Sears owned 25% of the company. In 1968, a typical Sears salesman would retire with a nest egg worth well over a million dollars in today's dollars. Can you imagine? Other American corporations did the same. Procter & Gamble, Pillsbury, Kodak, S.C. Johnson, U.S. Steel. Some did it because it seemed morally right, and others because it seemed that happy workers produced better. But all of that changed. And it changed in our lifetime. We watched it change. Since 2000, in the last 20 years, the portion of total national income going to American workers has plummeted faster and farther than in any other nation of wealth in the world. So back to the guy I love to hate, Jeff Bezos. He now owns more than 11% of Amazon's shares of stock. Um, You know, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars worth. And other of his top executives earn, uh, you know, own more and more shares. But Amazon's employees, and there are a lot of them, and they work their tails off for not much money. All those people who make sure you get whatever crap you've ordered, right? They don't get a share. They don't get shit. And someone did the arithmetic. If Amazon's 840,000 employees owned the same proportion of their employer's stock as the Sears workers did in the 1950s. In other words, if they owned a quarter of the company, every single person working at Amazon would now own shares worth an average of $386,000. And Jeff Bezos and all his his fellow execs, they'd still be worth billions and millions. This is how Things go totally awry. Sharing profits with the people who produce the product. Sharing profits with the people who do the work. Valuing labor is simply a logical step, and now it is a necessary step. First step to remaking this repulsive capitalism that we have allowed. I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater, because there is a way for this to work, but it requires policy changes, and it requires people in corporations 
to have an appreciation for who is creating their wealth. And it means shareholders have got to give way as the most important group to stakeholders. That's a bigger category. And it includes the people who do the work. Oh, boy, guys. Ah, Maybe what I'm feeling is just exhaustion. We have so much work to do. So much work to do. But uh, we've been given an opportunity. We have. Things have got, you know, it's sort of like somebody who's suffering from addiction. You know, maybe, you know, you got to hit bottom before you can start climbing out. And we're getting awful close to the bottom. And what we do with all of these crazy Americans in our midst who can't be asked to wear a piece of cloth over their face, who see that as equivalent to the Holocaust, yeah. who see that as fascism, who don't see that it is showing that you care about other people. And the realization that it is temporary, that a temporary might be a pretty long period of time, but temporary. I don't know what we do with these people. To see those crowds at Trump's gathering still not wearing any masks and being right on top of each other. You have to wonder, do they have a death wish? Do they have the maturity of a 13-year-old who thinks they're going to live forever? Um, Have they been so brainwashed by Fox News and right-wing media that because the message they're receiving is coming from people they view as enemies of the people (laughs) or... I don't understand how people can be so just obstinately ignorant. Even in these states in the South where, I mean, all hell is breaking loose. In Florida, in Texas, in Arizona, in Allegheny County. What is with these people? And one more little thing that I just remembered. There was a Trump rally on the river, people in boats uh, yesterday, or the day before, I can't remember. And um, Black Lives Matter protesters showed up on the hot metal bridge over where the boats had gathered, um, you know, to counter-protest. And what I found incredible was all the video I saw of these uh, two events. Pittsburgh police seemed to be positioned to hold back the Black Lives Matter protesters and to protect the Trump protesters from what? from the Black Lives Matter protesters who had no weaponry, who were not, that the weaponry they had was their mouths. And speaking of mouths, 
almost all of the police officers I saw standing in front, looking menacing at the BLM protesters, were not wearing masks. And yet they are charged now with enforcing a rule that all people in close proximity be wearing masks. And they were in close proximity and they were not wearing masks. And on top of that, somebody pointed out, because they took pictures of some of the, the, the cops, some of these cops had placed stickers over the lenses of their body cameras. Why? I mean, I have a lot of questions. Why? 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 The people who are supposed to serve and protect and enforce the law here appeared to be picking sides, appeared to be covering up their body cameras, and definitely appeared not to be following the law that they are to be masked. What the hell is that about? It doesn't bode well. And I want to know if Bill Peduto is on to this. Somebody ask him about this? There's visual evidence. I saw it. I saw it. Those cameras were covered up. And those mouths and noses were not. And if a third party were to have happened upon the scene and asked, who do you think the police are protecting here? (laughs) There wasn't any doubt. They were protecting the Trump people, even though there was no menace coming from the Black Lives Matter protesters. So it's just some questions I have. I think we in Allegheny County need to stop I'm sure we have, feeling smug. We were doing so much better. We were getting praised by the state for being so smart and so good at mitigating the risks of this awful virus. And now, man, we are leading the state in cases. Just saying. Okay. um, The numbers just came out. I was going to say goodbye, but I'll give you our latest. See if we're still making history here. Oh, dear. Wait a minute. Um, Oh, boy. All right. Today, Jesus. 218 new cases, one new death. The deaths will rise. And here's the thing. The age ranges over the last um, week, the bottom age range has always been an infant. So today's, in these latest 218 new cases, the youngest case is in a nine-month-old child. There was a three-month-old child, um, I think, yesterday or the day before. Um, and the at the top is always somebody quite old, 95, 95 years old. But the median age, as you break that down, has been in the 20s. Although it's now slowly crawling up because that's what's going to happen 
when these 20-somethings, when these friggin' idiots get the virus, they are going to pass it on through their families. We're really not in good shape here. Um, wow. So, there you have it. Okay? And it's going to be like this for a while, and then the deaths are going to start going up, and the hospitalizations are start going up. And, man, we need to shut ourselves up and shut down. Be, just, really, be careful out there. Please. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.